welcome to the Byte Rabbit podcast, where we talk about WebXR, that's VR and AR on the web. My name is Jonathan, one of the founders of Byte Rabbit. Hi, my name is Florian, I'm the other founder of Byte Rabbit and a WebXR game developer. And my name is Darius, intern and WebXR developer at Byte Rabbit. Hello and welcome everyone to the Wide Rabbit podcast. Today we are very honored to be joined by Alban Denoyle, who is the CEO of Sketchfab, who you all know. Hi Alban, how are you doing today? Pretty good, thank you. So let's hop right in. You are one of the founders of Sketchfab and Sketchfab for all the WebXR developers out there is like a huge deal. What inspired you to start Sketchfab together with your co-founders? Uh, yeah, Cédric and Pierre-Antoine. <laughs> Um, are my co-founders? Uh, that's a great question. I, th I think there are two things that inspired us. The first one is that while 3D has been around for a long time, uh, the ability to to easily view and share 3D has only been possible with the arrival of WebGL in 2011. And so the first inspiration was really that before Sketchfab, people have been relying on, on screenshots and videos or physical meetings to show 3D in 3D. And this just sounded crazy. And with the arrival of uh, WebGL, uh, this opened the door to solve that uh, through the web. And just like how, I mean, each media format gave birth to publishing platforms, YouTube for videos, SoundCloud for sounds, SlideShare for slides. And when we started, there was no such platform for the 3D world, and so there, there seemed to be an opportunity to to fill the gap. Um, so this kind of the first inspiration, and the second one was the the, the vision that three D uh, content as a format was going to go mainstream, both on the creation and consumption side of things. On the creation side, with the arrival of three D capture technologies, uh, either through photogrammetry or uh, depth sensors coming to our smartphones. And on the consumption side, uh, with the arrival of VR and AR coming to market and more people needing virtual version of things. And so this seemed to be the right time, uh, an existing problem to solve and the problem that was going to get bigger and an opportunity that was only going to, to get big, bigger, which meant it was worth starting an actual company to to tackle it. It's a very surprising though how far you were ahead of the time. I mean, how long has Catchfab been around now? Uh, nine years. So nine years ago, I remember it's like, like a dark age. There were like some closed up stores where you could buy 3D models very expensively. Nowadays, like everyone's familiar with 3D. So like an idea of like this could be maybe more within reach, but nine years ago, Thinking, thinking of this, that was kind of like a lot of ahead of your time, right? Yeah, we were definitely way too early when we started and most of the companies we started back then are no more. <laughs> the challenge was to still be alive today and here we are. So what were some of the difficulties that you were faced with uh, starting a web graphics company at that point in time? The first key difficulty was that WebGL was only available in the alpha or beta versions of the browsers uh, and was essentially only running on maybe 50% of the overall online uh, uh, setup of people. And so we pitch Sketchfab to, I mean, anyone could be a partner, an investor, uh, a news site that sends them a link and they were like, it's not working for me. 
And I would be like, hey, have you installed the alpha version of Chrome? And people in normal life don't do that. And so for the first four or five years, I mean, until WebGL got uh, supported on, on iOS and, and Explorer, it was just really challenging to, to pitch that this was the solution, like the technical thing that was going to be a standard. So it was the first main challenge. And then the second one was that we didn't really have a, I mean, we couldn't really monetize this thing since it was not standard at all. And we didn't have a, a clear uh, a business model and plan. I mean, we were first time founders. And, and so back in France in 2012, there was less capital available and even less capital for companies with no revenues and no business plan. And so it was a challenge to, to attract investors and, and explain that the vision was bigger than the immediate need for generating revenue. Uh, so yeah, I guess those would be the two things I would highlight. And I mean, now with uh, especially this 3D scanning that you mentioned coming up, like back then, uh, creating 3D content was super hard. Only like dedicated artists would be doing that. And usually for probably bigger companies, game companies and so on. So, um, I mean, you enabled them to make money with the store more or less. But nowadays, it's actually really easy to do 3D scanning, right? I saw some things that you posted on Twitter quite recently. Uh, yeah, it was a new, I mean, it was already getting easier and easier with photogrammetry and more and more mobile apps letting you easily capture things. But with the new uh, LiDAR in the, in the new iPhone, it's really like completely plug and play. It used to be kind of plug and play with Tango on Android devices back in like 2015, <laughs> except that the quality and the speed were really subpar compared to what I can get today with the iPhone. And so now it's not only plug and play, uh, it's also outputting results are becoming incre incredibly good. And I've, I've seen occurrences where I share, I mean, I've been scanning so many things in my neighborhood over the past 10 years, and now I'm rescanning them with the LiDAR, things that I've scanned with photogrammetry. I know which are like two scans, one photogrammetry, one LiDAR, and some, some people aren't even sure which, which one is which, and, and that's mm -hmm. really crazy. That's interesting. Evolving really quickly. And I guess I see th this analogy of Sketchfab being the YouTube of 3D a lot. So is that connected to your vision? Is that something that you are actually actively saying? Or is that just something that people say about Sketchfab? I used to rely on that analogy. And, and now I would say uh, Vimeo is a better analogy. Uh, it's a long story, but when we started I mean, we've always had this kind of uh, uh, debate with my co-founders, like my uh, Cedric, our CTO, is coming from the gaming industry, is really into like high-end uh, graphics, mm -hmm. and he wanted to build a service for like the best 3D artists out there, and I have more of a business background, and my vision was that everybody's going to create free content, and it's going to get mainstream, and, and, and we want to be... YouTube and not Vimeo, and YouTube is much bigger than Vimeo. And so we've we've always tried to kind of be both, and I mean, address like both sides of the market. And then we came to the US, we were able to raise capital, more on this YouTube vision, like everybody creates, everybody consumes, it becomes mainstream. And we've, I mean, and eventually we'll be able to monetize the audience and we don't have to charge for the tools or the content. And then in, 2016, 17, a number of things became clear. Uh, one was that 
on the creation side, 3D creation was, I mean, it was in 2016, 17, it became clear that the YouTube analogy was more like 10 years away than 12 months away. On the creation side, uh, Google was dropping Tango and 3D creation didn't seem, I mean, and our, our hope that we foresee in 2012 is only becoming a reality now the latest generation of iPhones. So it took 10 more years than what we had hoped. Uh, on the consumption side, we had been waiting for, at the time, WebVR to ship in the, in the default version of the browsers for the past like two or three years. And it was still only in the beta or alpha version of the browsers. And the, set, the sales of headsets back in 2016, 17 were pretty disappointing. And so it became clear that our mass market vision on the consumer side was also like years away. And at the same time, and, and when we were in that vision, we didn't have a store back then, and we didn't want the content to leave the platform. We wanted the content and the player to be always together. And for us, like the player is the content, and mm -hmm. the content has to be consumed within the SketchUp player. And if it leaves the player, we lose its value. And that was really kind of this YouTube mindset. We want all the content on SketchUp to live only on SketchUp that's, and become a destination site mm -hmm. and so on. And and around the same time, we realized that our content is very different from the way you consume videos. And it's actually more valuable if it can leave the platform to be part of something bigger, which can be a movie, a game, whatever else. And so we realized we had the potential to be even more of a central place for the 3D ecosystem if we were the place not only to publish content, but also to find and download content. And so this kind of clicked and changed the dynamic and made, made the YouTube analogy a bit less uh, viable, I guess. And then at the same time, we also realized that companies were starting to adopt our tools and our player, and that we had guys like Nike or Adidas <laughs> using the platform for free. And we're like, okay, uh, there seems to be a clear business opportunity in essentially charging, like building specific features for companies using the platform and charging for that. And, and once, I mean, once we lined up all those three things, it became clear that the ecosystem was not mature enough to be this kind of YouTube only building on growth and the audience, but we had a very clear opportunity to be more of a Vimeo. And what's interesting is that when Vimeo, Vimeo went through the kind of same uh, path and so they, they stopped trying to be YouTube, they focused on being like the CMS for videos and be the place where everyone stores their videos and can output the content wherever they need to all the other video players. And it's a bit the same for us. Like we're seeing more and more new 3D players coming to market and like Google has built their player, Shopify is using the player, uh, Facebook had a player, Wikipedia has a player. And now we're happy if the content is distributed and consumed through our player, but we're also happy to be the CMS where people organize their content and then can blast it out to, or even like to Instagram and Snap, who now are able to ingest 3D content. I think, I'm sorry, this is a long answer because it's an important topic, but totally great. I, think there, I think there is still an opportunity on the longer term to go back to something that is closer to a, a YouTube play that is more mass market. So they depth sensors are part of every smartphone on the creation side. Mm -hmm. And the day everybody has AR glasses, I think at that point, we'll still be the home for free content and we have the mm -hmm. potential. I see it more as a kind of a giffy play because we're not really going to be a destination site. And so the way I see it is that we're going to be plugged in everywhere as the API for 3D content. And so mm -hmm. essentially be pre-installed in the Apple glasses to bring to you a 3D version of anything you would want 
uh, be it for VR or AR consumption. And when we get there, yeah, I mean, this would be more of a mass market play potentially, but yeah, it's like maybe five to 10 years away. Great answer. Yeah, definitely. But I mean, WebXR is heading there and what you described with WebGL in the early days being like really hard to get working on people's machines reminds me very much of the days of WebVR, right? Where like that's happening all over again, but it's slowly stabilizing at least. Um, well, now that you found basically a and not a 10-year plan, but something that's working now with the player. You said that a lot of companies were adopting that. What is that? What does this uh, the viewer offering entail? So initially, it was mostly targeting consumer-facing use cases, so things like e-commerce, marketing for product launches, and like things like product configurators, like changing the color of a car or like the, the size of a table, things like that. And that's kind of on those use cases that we build the, the business uh, in a way. Uh, and also the long tail of other things like news stories, right? just like the New York Times investing a lot in interactive stories and they do this in-house, but a lot of companies don't have in-house resources of the New York Times and Sketchfab lets them offer same level of interactivity at a fraction of the cost. Um, and so anyway, yeah, we started focusing on consumer facing use cases and adding more and more API endpoints so that you could really tweak the look and feel of the player to your need. If you are a Nike or a Audi and you want to integrate the player on your own website and then make it easier and easier to add custom uh, behaviors like opening a door, changing a color and so on. And so uh, for, for the past three years, we, we were uh, mostly focusing on, on this type of use cases for the viewer. And uh, in Q2 of last year, so about nine months ago, we released Sketchfab for Teams, uh, which is essentially, which is our asset management system, which essentially adds the concept of multiple seats and multiple tenancies so that several people within an organization can use Sketchfab. And so essentially bringing the powers of Sketchfab viewer inside a company. And this is opening up an entire new market for us, which is kind of one step ahead of product uh, launch or consumer facing applications. A lot of those use cases are around product display, not only, but a lot of it is. And, and yeah, the Sketchfab for Teams has seen amazing traction, especially with COVID and a lot of brands moving to end-to-end -end digital workflows, getting rid of physical samples, getting rid of physical trade shows, and essentially investing massively in digital twins of their catalogs and all looking for ways to store those assets, view those assets, share those assets. And this has become a, a big part of our uh, business and so yeah some of it is internal use for internal sharing or like b2b sales and things like that and then some of it is for yeah, commerce and external use cool and uh, how does ar and vr which you've added like to the sketchfab viewer in like so long ago like before basically anyone else was using web vr you had vr support uh, through webex or web vr in the sketchfab viewer what kind of value does that add for businesses whether it being ar or vr in that case so i always see vr and ar as kind of additional screens like new ways to consume uh, 3d content and so there is desktop, there is mobile, there is 3D printing, and then there is VR and AR. And I think that VR and AR provides the ultimate way to consume 3D content because they allow to consume 3D content in 3D content in a, in 3D space. Uh, and so for me, VR and AR are the way 
the content we host should be consumed. That being said, I think it's important that it doesn't have to be consumed that way. And a key part of our value proposition is to be entirely cross-platform and to keep supporting all the new ways to consume 3D content in, in the best possible way. And if you are a company, you want maximum reach and maximum compatibility and maxi maximum uh, cross-platformness. And so I think for, for brands, the value is that so a lot of brands are looking into VR and AR and what's the most efficient way, what is the most cost-effective and then what is what has the most reach. And I think Sketchfab addresses those two things pretty well. Like it has the reach of the web, so it's ultimate reach. And it was really striking at the beginning of, of, the, of the VR trend, like in 2015, 16. Every brand will, would build a, nat a native VR app, just like they would build a, a native mobile app. And it would get, it would be like a standalone thing that would cost like 1 million potentially to develop. And that would be pushed for two weeks and then nobody would, would use it and, and it would get dropped. Uh, whereas with the web, I mean, you can plug this in anywhere, share it. I mean, web VR and web XR have all the advantages of, of the web. And then you have VR on top of it. And so, yeah, and for brands, they want, they're starting to understand the value of VR and AR, especially when it comes to product uh, showcasing and product display. And I think they, yeah, they, they understand that the web is a way to get uh, maximum reach. With VR, do you see like, if you're talking about like back then, no one used those VR apps. Like, do you see any use, especially like maybe the more broad use of the WebXR mode or the VR mode on the WebXR viewer on the Sketchfab store? For example, through the launches of the Oculus Quest, there was suddenly an influx of people on the immersive web. Uh, yeah, I think I think uh, where we see the most use and and traction is, I would say, is for is actually for content creators themselves. Mm -hmm. Whereas the most straightforward way, straightforward way for a three D content creator to view their content in VR, and it's always like a mind blowing experience for them. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of those guys are finally getting a headset, and sometimes they create in VR, like in Medium or or Tilbrush. And so of course, it's, I mean they already get the value and, and they like uh, to use Sketchfab so they can share uh, their creations or true form. But then uh, I, I also see like traditional 3D artists or people using 3D scanning just get their, their LiDAR. And then they realize that if they get a quest, they can explore everything they've scanned in VR in just one click. It's really like, wow, like I, I can teleport to the scan of my office I've made or to my, my bedroom or and this is really like kind of a wow moment for those people. And and so, yeah, I often see uh, in one of the first things they want to try when they get a quest is checking out their Sketchfab content in VR. And that content can actually be even an entire animated movie. I was really surprised and I hadn't known about this prior to like researching for this podcast a bit. Lillian Snout is like a, basically an entire animated short inside a Sketchfab player. I'm like, wow, <laughs> that, that's like a, no, so, such an easy, accessible way to build a, a interactive storytelling virtual experience, like all those things that you usually natively download for Quest and take gigabytes to download, right? Yeah, I think this Lillian Start was actually the first ever web VR mini short movie. And we did it. We don't have anyone in-house making content or experiences. Mm -hmm. We did it. 
to showcase our new animation features, we did it in parallel of releasing animation support in Sketchfab. And so we wanted to show what does that mean and how far can we push the feature. And so we gathered a team of uh, freelancers and, and Sketchfab power users and former Pixar people, and we put a small budget on it. And so it did this in like two months, like incredibly fast. And it was just amazing. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's super. It has sound, volumetric sound, and, and you can be inside the movie. And that was back in, I don't know when we were in this, like 2016, maybe. Incredible. Wow. That, that's like, it still like blows my mind. And I'm like, there, there hasn't been too many people even doing that after that, right? It's been like, you showed that it was possible and people were still like, nah, but it's not possible for normal people, right? <laughs> I, I tried to collect uh, other mini movies like that and I have a bunch of them and we, we see like power users pushing the limits of the platform and, and, and leveraging this, but it's, it's not a ton of people because I mean, it requires uh, time and dedication to build that. And then it's not really something you're going to monetize. It's not going to get crazy uh, traffic. And so there's no, it's really for the beauty of it, <laughs> uh, at least today. Uh, so I guess there aren't a ton of incentives to do that, except for like as an art project. You mentioned the animation feature being new, but um, I realized while like scrolling through business offerings, the technical level of the viewer is insane. You even have like geometry streaming in there and everything, meaning it like can handle loads of data without actually loading them from beginning, meaning it just loads super fast. Do you see people using these? So this particular feature of uh, streaming and level of detail is is something that is in alpha, so it's, it's not really available to uh, the public yet. Uh, but then, yeah, you, it's true that there is a ton of feature under the hood and a lot of people have no idea. And, and the thing is, there is so much, it, we, we struggle to find the best ways to educate people. Uh, and it's, become, it's becoming one of our core uh, goals for our community team. Like, better, especially with all the new viewers coming to market, like how do we educate people? And also with all the new users coming to the platform with LiDAR and scanning, like mm -hmm. how do we educate people and make them realize that their okay uploads can look so much better if they know how to use our, our automated ground shadows and free annotations and, and post-process effects and all that. Uh, and so, yeah, I mean, we, we try to educate them, things that, our curated staff picks is a, is a good way also to show people what you can actually get as results. But yeah, it's really education and it's it's tricky because, I mean, a lot of those features are in the 3D editor and we've always, we've made the, the decision that the 3D editor is not what you land on by default. And so by default, you, you just have a plain, simple viewer and then there is a CTA to the 3D editor if you want to take it one step further. And I think one of the reasons Sketchfab is where it is today is that we've always kept things super straightforward and simple. Like there is an upload button and bam, within like 10 seconds, you see your 3D model live in the browser. And so if we were post-upload, if we were to show the editor instead of not showing the editor, maybe there would be more uh, usage of those secret things under the hood, but then it would be much more scary for people mm -hmm. and it would sound like a a technical tool and we we want the features to disappear behind the content in a way 
That's amazing. Are you planning also on going in a more technical avenue with some other tools that are more for developers or technical people? Yeah, so we so we improve our APIs on a quarterly basis, like especially, I mean, we have two sets of APIs, but uh, the data API, which lets you upload or download programmatically, and then the viewer API, which lets you customize the behavior of the player. Um, and yeah, our goal is our goal is to keep making this more and more robust, but more mostly through code, uh, so that people who want to do more with the platform can, but without overcharging the interface uh, for the average user. Uh, that being said, one thing we're starting to look into is how can we potentially come up with templates? Uh, so find a, find a, a kind of a middle ground uh, for people who are not necessarily developers, but can can start leveraging the APIs with, with kind of pre-made templates. And one thing we're also looking into is the concept of multiple objects at runtime in a scene. So right now you have to upload everything in one go uh, to the viewer. And if you want to do a configurator, you have to load all the options in one go and then I don't show them, for example. And having multiple objects uh, would allow us to have much more of those configurators and and move towards more uh, logic capabilities, like move something, add something, remove something, things like that. Cool. So moving almost in the direction of a game engine or something. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's the general question that people ask, like, are you going to become a full game engine? And I don't see us, I mean, we're trying to find the, the fine line between ease of use and, and robustness. Uh, we don't want to be a game engine, uh, but we do, we do want to, to allow people to do more and more things, yeah. Cool. I it's like it's amazing how much like in this technology you are leading in the entire like WebGL space. I think WebGL has somewhat of a a bad name with performance. Like people think you cannot do great graphics on the web. Uh, yet there has been repeatedly examples that show that it's actually possible, let it be Sketchfab or Google Earth, or I think Drakensang Online is one of the like, more, more impressive games that do WebGL. What, what's your, your point on that? How do you, why do you think has that come to be? Well, I think it, it, was, it was true and it's becoming less and less true. Like when we, when we started, I think it's a mix of WebGL and then WebGL on the one hand, and then what the platforms enable on the other end. Typically, when we started, WebGL was not uh, cross-platform, not running on every browser. And then what we had built on Sketchfab only allowed for poor-looking <laughs> 3D models. Uh, and we, I mean, we, for us, being the best web-based rendering solution on the web has kind of always been our North Star, and we knew that to be able to attract the best 3D artists on the market, what we showed them inside Sketchfab has to be on par with how things looked in Substance Painter or 3ds Max or Unreal. And so we've always optimized for that and every week adding new rendering features. And that's also one of the things differentiating us with other viewers that we've built a ton of very specific rendering things, you know, like subsurface scattering to render skin well and uh, clear coat to render hard paint well and refraction to render water well, and all those things, all those details. And while we 
I mean, this is clearly changing because I think the best illustration of that is that we've started closing automotive brands and they've historically always been the most demanding, actually both automotive and fashion brands, both of them, but especially automotive have been extremely demanding in terms of graphic capabilities. And, and I've, I've tried closing those car brands for the past nine years, like since starting for me, like we have to close a car brand and what was killing me was that they'd rather have something not fully 3D, so like a 360 turntable chili thing and something that would load, take two minutes to load. So something not interactive and not fast, but that was like photorealistic. And it was really super annoying for me because uh, for me, my assumption was that for the end user, like the customer, they'd rather have something that is 2% less photorealistic, but it is fully interactive and fast. And now we're finally able to close those customers. They finally agree that the trade-off is worth it and that maybe, yes, we are now 1% less photorealistic than something 2D, but something like WebGL client-facing is super fast, it's much more cost-effective than something streamed, and it works and, and it looks good. Also on mobile devices, I think the interactability becomes a whole different new dimension where you can use AR functionalities and things like that, that customers find really uh, interesting. Without like naming names, but uh, bigger engines, especially from the native side with web targets could theoretically be roughly seen as a competitor. What is like your idea on what Sketchfab Viewer can provide compared to one of those bigger known engines that uh, people use very frequently for mobile or desktop applications? Uh, I, think it's, uh, I think it's a good uh, question. <laughs> um, I would say that those tools and solutions are not web companies or at least not web first companies. And so if you take yeah, both Unity or Unreal, their goal is to let you deploy a build to all the platforms, like 15 different platforms from like consoles to all the platforms. And then the web is like 15th or the 16th platform. Uh, <laughs> and so whatever they deploy to the web carries the weight, the non-optimized weight of all those other things that are needed to deploy to all those 15 other platforms. Uh, Whereas we're we're a web first and pretty much web only company, we've only been building for the web, and so uh, and, and so yeah, I mean it's going to be a fact that we're going to be better at the web than anyone else, hopefully. Uh, and then I would I would also say that those game engines, I mean, were created to create full games, and now they understand they see the huge potential and value for interactive content beyond games, like from product showcase to storytelling and all that. Uh, but I think. A game engine is overkill for a lot of those use cases. Like you don't need a game engine to show a shoe, and and <laughs> <laughs> not necessarily overkill for something like a car. But then if you take the long tail of product display, like a shoe, a, ch a chair, a fan, or whatever, I mean, yeah, you want the web. You're not going to stream an Unreal or Unity build um, uh, to do that. Cool. That's a very good answer to that question, I find. Still on the track of being leading on the web, um, you have adopted the GLTF format or standard by Kronos really, really early. And now very recently, the USDZ standard has been announced or has been released by Pixar. 
um, as like a new way to exchange 3D models. Um, what's, what are your thoughts on the USDZ format? What does it provide above maybe what GLTF provides? And like, what's the additional value in supporting that? Um, I mean, our mission is to make 3D accessible, uh, which means that we need to be able to let the content be consumed where it should be consumed, which is everywhere, uh, which means supporting anything that becomes a standard. And so early on, it became clear that GLTF was going to be that for a lot of people, so like Facebook and Google and Microsoft and all those guys. And then Apple came came up with USDZ and were one of their launching partners. It took us two years to ship USDZ support because we needed it to be on par with, or mostly on par with GLTF to actually dedicate resources to that because, I mean, we only ship things that work yeah. and we can't ship something that's going to work only in 50% of cases. And so we needed it to support PBR workflows and animation, things like that. And so now we find it mostly on par. Uh, there are still some like edge cases and, and, and weird behaviors with things like animations or glass rendering or specific things, but in 95% of the cases, maybe 98% of the cases we're happy with it. And I think it's, I mean, you, 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 can't, you can't remove the iOS ecosystem from the equation. And so if you want to be part of that ecosystem, you have to, you have to support USDZ. So that's as simple as that. And now, especially with, with LiDAR and everybody getting a free camera in their, their pockets, um, I mean, this, this creates a virtual, virtuous, uh, loops that you, you can capture freely in one click publish the sketchfabs and consume in AR uh, through the USDZ format, which is a, a compelling uh, uh, workflow. Amazing. Yeah. Where do you see uh, this like LiDAR scanning heading? I think you seem to be way more into that than doing that for 10 years with photogrammetry before and now with LiDAR. Uh, where do you think that is all going? Well, I'm actually planning to write a blog. I started a blog post on this, like why? Why would I make 3D captures? <laughs> and it's interesting because I keep getting the question, people always want a utilitarian answer. So like, why do you need to 3D print this thing? Or do you need measurements? And so I, I think that, yeah, the step one LiDAR has a ton of professional utilitarian upsides like measurements and, and everybody working in the construction industry and real estate and whatever. But for me, it's really, it's really more about we live in a 3D world. As humans, we've always tried to replicate nature. We started with painting in caves, and we got photography, then we, we got video, and we've kept trying to get closer and closer to what the world actually looks like. And the world is 3D, and so if we can capture it in 3D, we, sh we should and we will. And I think the day, for me, it's really the same use cases as, as Instagram, where you, you, you share pictures of... Uh, your family and your food and your clothes and that's typically how i i use 3d capture in general lidar in particular but i like to make 3d portraits of my kids i like to shoot a nice meal at the restaurant in 3d and and yeah i'm really into shoes and so i mean lidar is, is not quite ready for things small as shoes but so i'm going to use photogrammetry for shoes but i like i like to preserve those things in 3d and I think the missing part of the equation is the ability to consume those things in, 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 3D, in 3D space, so in VR, AR, as easily as it is to create them in 3D. So I think the day 
everybody is equipped with AR glasses, it becomes so much more compelling to create this content. Like I, I my, my one-year-old daughter just started walking and with Record 3D, I, I did record the first steps as a volumetric video, as a wow. succession of point clouds. There is one point cloud per frame of the video. And I have a, hol a hologram or whatever you call it of her first steps. And then I can send this to her grandparents, my parents, who can project this on, on their coffee table in their living room in Paris uh, in AR or, or, or visit this scene in VR. And I mean, that's, that's, that's the way it should be if, 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 it can, if it can be. That's a very, very beautiful vision. It's incredible to hear. Do you think that those technologies are going to be interesting for consumers in the near future? I mean, uh, I'd say, would you say the quality of 3D scans, uh, how do you think they will be evolving in the next coming years in terms of displaying volumetric video with, uh, in terms of mimicry, in terms of emotional communication for people? Volumetric video is really kind of the bleeding edge. <laughs> uh, <laughs> kind of the most further away and and one of the challenges being that if you want to record full scene you need more than one sensor because mm -hmm. sensor behind the scene but but otherwise for start, static things uh i think on 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 some proper use cases like typically scanning a space like your home or your office is now incredibly easy with incredibly good results and I think it's it's getting to an ease of use and qualities that should be competing for normal people. If it's part of the phones they already have without buying this phone necessarily for this feature, and if it's one click away that you can capture the bedroom of your kids and that 20 years from now they can revisit their kid's bedroom in VR. I mean, that's extremely compelling. That being said, I'm, I'm super biased because I, I've been in this for 10 years. And so I know that this is science fiction for a lot of people. And so a lot of it is going to be education. Apple hasn't marketed at all uh, the 3D capture side of things. Uh -huh. uh, I think they're waiting to see the first apps come to market and what people do with that. We're at generation one, uh, and it's already amazing. And so I'm curious to see how Apple communicates on those features at generation two and three and four. But today, I mean, the day, the day they started marketing this, the usage is going to 10,000 X mm -hmm. and it's going to be uh, interesting to follow. Yeah, 100%. I think there's a good note to end the podcast here. Uh, Alan, where do people find you online? Where can f people follow you? Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Sketchfab, obviously. Uh, mostly Twitter, I guess. Uh, Twitter.com slash ALBN. And then Sketchfab.com slash Alban. Uh, Facebook.com slash Alban Tinoyel, my family name. And then LinkedIn. And then I have a personal website tinoyel.com and a medium blog where I share a bit of the story around Sketchfab and free capture and things like that. Awesome. We'll put links to all that in the description so that people can conveniently find that out. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. Thank you for being here. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Any last words that you want to get out? Uh, no, I mean, you should try free capture if you have the new iPhone. And even if you don't, there are plenty of apps which don't require LiDAR and 
I mean, I see a lot of people who want to get into the VR and AR and XR space. And they're like, where do I start? I have to learn like Unity, but it's daunting. Hmm. You should just make special content and making special content starts with a free capture. And once you've made it, you have to share it. You cannot keep it on your phone. If you do that, nobody's going to hold you accountable for the quality of, <laughs> for the non-quality of it. <laughs> um, and so you have to publish it and then make content. And that's the shortest way to get into the space. Awesome. Cool. Thank you so much. And to all of you listening, hear you guys next time. Bye. Bye.